Hello, everyone. Welcome to this Net Zero Carbon Summit Fireside Chat. I'm John Gallagher, Senior Editor at FreightWaves, and joining me today is Eric Gebhardt. Eric is the Chief Technology Officer for Wabtech and is responsible for the company's global technology and investment strategy and new product development. Welcome, Eric, to the Net Zero Summit. Glad, glad to be here, John. So just to start off, Eric, um, could you provide some background on Wabtech and explain what the company does? Yes, Wabtech has been a leader in the rail space for the last 150 years. It was founded in 1869 by George Westinghouse when he designed the air brake system. And uh, we've been continuing to invest in technology and developing technology since then. A couple of fun facts. About one-fifth of all the world's freight moves by Wabtech locomotives uh, today. If you look at uh, positive train control, which was just put into place uh, in December of last year, after about a 12-year rollout, all of the class ones chose Wabtech for positive train control. So we do the overall systems uh, that control the, uh, the trains. And then almost all transit vehicles today have Wabtech equipment, whether it's the braking system, the doors, the HVAC, other equipment, uh, that may be part of it. We operate today in about 50 countries and we have about 27,000 employees. Gotcha. That, so that, that's a big part, obviously, of the, of the rail industry. So this conference is about getting net zero emissions in, in the freight and mobility space. So, so how do you see the rail sector contributing to the goal of net zero emissions? Yeah, I, I believe that the, uh, the rail sector has a large part to play in this. It's already the lowest emitting, the safest and most economic way of moving freight in the U.S. today. If you look at it from a uh, per ton mile uh, basis, dramatically lower emitting and safer than moving the same by, by truck. And with our extensive rail network that we have in the U.S., 140,000 miles of track in the U.S., by far the largest uh, around, and it gives us uh, uh, the ability to move it quickly, to move it in an economic way. And with the rail going up or the freight uh, going up by about 100%, doubling by 2050, this really is an area that, uh, that by moving some of this traffic more to rail to expand how much goes by rail and then decarbonizing rail, it gives you a great opportunity to really help decarbonize the system. Mm -hmm. And uh, your, your company's president, Raphael Santana, he recently testified b before Congress uh, here in DC on the company's Freight 2030 initiative. Could you tell us about this vision and what you hope to accomplish through it. Yeah, this this is a really exciting initiative that uh, you know Raphael did speak in front of uh, Congress about, and it, it's around a couple of key things. One, how do we create zero emission uh, locomotives? So hydrogen hybrid locomotives, battery electric locomotives. We're already doing a lot on the battery electric side. Now we're going to move more into hydrogen with this. And, and then how to get more 
uh, freight by rail? How do you take the existing infrastructure that exists today and get 50% more traffic on there by uh, better signaling, better controls methodologies, uh, AI techniques, and actually increase the amount there? And when we look at these two things working together, uh, if we did those first two, we could eliminate 120 million tons of CO2 per year by doing those two things. And, uh, and that's about 2% of the total CO2 emitted in the United States. So it's a good bit. Yeah. And th so the, the freight 2030, that, so does that involve, I, I, I thought I heard um, uh, Mr. Santana talking about public-private partnerships. Um, I think he mentioned Carnegie Mellon and Genesee, Wyoming, and I think even Department of Energy. It, 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 yes. Okay, so that's part of the whole initiative, is it? Yeah, so, so when we look at this initiative overall, we're, we want, we believe it's a large enough initiative that we want the government involved in this. So we're talking with the Department of Transportation, Department of Energy, others there. Uh, the, the committee that Raphael spoke in front of was a Transportation Infrastructure Committee. We signed up uh, Carnegie Mellon to be part of this. They are uh, one of the leaders on artificial intelligence and logistics today, as well as robotics. They, they have a couple of institutes that are working with the government already, so we're partnered with them. Then Genesee in Wyoming is uh, the largest short line in the U.S., and they're working with us to give us access to track because this initiative overall is there's a research component of it, but then it's also how do you productize it? How do you get demonstration units? How do you prove it on the tracks and actually have that and then get it adopted by the customers? Because innovation only works if somebody buys it at the back end. And that's really what we want to look at this entire system. And we want to, as quickly as possible, get from where we are today with battery electric and the success we have with that to how do you get hydrogen hybrid operating and the entire ecosystem? So how do you charge battery electric locomotives? How do you uh, create the hydrogen ecosystem around this so that the entire system is decarbonized? Gotcha. And, and just briefly on, on, the, on the battery side, before we get to hydrogen, <clears throat> that, that um, BNSF Railway is working with the California Air Resource Board. They're, they're, they're testing this WebTech um, battery, 100% battery electric. Is, is that right? Is that going on right now? Yes. In fact, we just uh, we just wrapped up the uh, the demonstration there, and I, I was fortunate enough. I got to ride on the last run of the locomotive, so I, I spent about 25 hours on the locomotive during the last run there. And uh, it's exciting. It's a 2.4 megawatt hour battery electric locomotive. And in the runs, we've done over 13,000 miles uh, of operation with it in revenue service. So it was going from Barstow to Stockton and back again. It was running that route there over to Hatchby Pass and uh, some of the interesting grades that we have out there. And over that time, 11% savings in fuel, 11% savings in emissions on this. So it's a battery electric locomotive put between two diesel electric locomotives. And then because of the regenerative braking and the charging that takes place, we can save 11%. And, and uh, we also had the opportunity to ride it, to run it in battery only mode where it was just a battery doing the uh, the hauling as part of that. So if you're in, say, a non-attainment zone, a heavy emission zone, there's ways to do this. So a lot of great testing. 
The next version of this is going to be a, uh, a six megawatt hour or more version of this, and it can save up to 30% on fuel, 30% on emissions. So it's uh, it's exciting technology, has run very well with BNSF and CARB, and uh, now we're ready to take on the next challenges. And, and so so basically it's going to be, you're, you want to roll that out and commercialize that. Uh, uh... Correct. We are already quoting this. We're quoting it at the six megawatt plus uh, range is where we're already quoting today. And uh, again, it would run in a consist with one or two other uh, diesel electric locomotives. And then it's the regenerative part. So every time the train would break, you're creating that energy again. And uh, it was great to see how much energy could actually be captured because the amount you leave with and the amount you end with is marginal compared to how much you actually generate while you're on the rails. Gotcha, gotcha. So so there's obviously a lot of costs uh, and fuels uh, fuel savings costs there and efficiencies. So why, so why not continue down that path? Why, why are you, why shift to hydrogen fuel cells? Yeah. So the, the key there is how much energy you could initially put in the batteries. So when you, when you look at that, uh, typically a diesel electric locomotive would be going with about 5,000 gallons is how big the gas tank is. The amount of energy that we can put into the batteries is significantly less than that. So you still do need an energy source while you're riding. So the batteries can help you uh, in between on the braking side. Moving to the hydrogen creates that energy source. Now we'll have the hydrogen hybrid locomotives and the hydrogen will be uh, producing the energy on this. And we'll go ahead and be able to uh, to go ahead and have the hydrogen take the place of the diesel electric is really where we're trying to go with this. Could you tell us what the biggest technology barriers are to, to hydrogen rail applications and what research and development is needed to overcome those barriers? Yeah, when we look at uh, at hydrogen, it's going to be the fuel cells will be the uh, the biggest technological challenge we need to uh, to overcome to get those ruggedized enough. If you think about a fuel cell operating inside of a passenger vehicle, one of those probably does a hundred thousand miles over its lifetime. If you look at rail, rail will do a hundred thousand miles a year and at high power during that time. So it's a very rugged application, even on the batteries, to go back to the batteries, during the time I was on the train in that 24 hour period, it, it charged and discharged uh, two and a half to three times uh, over that. So if you look at a typical solar application, it might be one, one discharge per day, a lot of electric vehicles, much less than that. The harshness of the application is really what we have to pay attention to, plus the vibrations, the shock and vibes, those types of things that are taking place there. So we're already in discussions with some of the fuel cell uh, providers about how do we ruggedize that overall. The second thing is going to be around the hydrogen ecosystem, how to make that cost effective. And that and I, I see that as a technical challenge also because you got to bring that cost down to where it's equivalent to what a diesel is. So a kilogram of hydrogen has about the equivalent energy content of a gallon of diesel, if you think about the efficiencies, because uh, fuel cells are 60% uh, efficient, and you have a diesel, a diesel engine is about 40% efficient. So you got to you know, you look across there. And 
we have to make sure that cost is coming down. And then we have to make sure the availability, the charging infrastructure, the refueling infrastructure, all of that has to come along as part of this. All of this is doable. There's research phases of it, but then it's a productization phase of it that we really want to pay attention to. And we want to make sure this is uh, economically viable because the best technologies are the ones that are economically viable and that'll really pull the industry towards this technology. And, and, could, and could you say just uh, again, Eric, what the, the infrastructure needs would be or nationally to be able to, to do this, to pull this off? Um, yeah. What makes me excited about this, if you look at the number of refueling stations across the uh, the rail network, it's about two to 3,000 uh, fueling stations across the entire nation when you look at those uh, the numbers here. If you look at the same thing for the trucking industry, it's about 150,000, 200,000 uh, equivalent. So it's, it's uh, where we will be able to pinpoint, we'll be able to go after certain routes, certain trains, various different things as we build out this ecosystem overall. And it'll be whether it's uh, central production of hydrogen or local production of the hydrogen, there'll be some storage facilities, how to charge, there'll likely be a tender uh, that'll go behind the locomotive in order to give the range that we're looking for here. So a hydrogen tender where you use liquid hydrogen, uh, most likely uh, liquid hydrogen where you can get that much energy into the tank. So it's building out the entire ecosystem. So as you know, uh, President Biden just sort of rolled out his um, his big infrastructure plan recently. And as as part of that, he was uh, rail, he was devoting about $80 billion to rail. And a lot of that was, uh, it looked, a, a bulk of that was to Amtrak issues, but, but also to bolster federal grants and loans that would support freight rail as well and, and electrification. Um, so I, I was just interested, Eric, in just your, your general thoughts on the infrastructure plan as it pertains to the rail sector. Yeah, and, and we're, we're excited. As was mentioned earlier there, we're, we're working with the government to get some funding towards these programs here. We think what uh, what's being done here is a step in the right direction. We can go ahead and utilize this with a public-private partnership, pull in some of the national labs, pull in academia, pull in other industrial companies to really build this out because the opportunity is uh, is is so large here if we look at the freight side uh, of this, where we could eliminate 120 million tons per year by de decarbonizing uh, this piece of the uh, of the network, and then really work with uh, the the trucking part of the industry and the ports and others to just optimize the entire network overall uh, and continue to decarbonize more and more of the freight sector. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned, I, I want to go back a little bit, because uh, you, you mentioned positive train control and how WebTech was kind of part of the whole uh, class one rollout of that. Um, it, it's basically allowing trains to, to, to operate closer together so you get better use out of available track capacity. I guess that, that's kind of a main factor of PTC, as they call it. So, well, I mean, I know, I understand it's not directly uh, put out there to reduce emissions, but can you tell us how it may indirectly at least contribute to the net zero goal? Yeah, and, and here's, here's how I piece this together. If we look at positive train control, it's a safety overlay over the network to make sure that uh, 
all of the movement authorities are followed properly. They want to make sure that everything comes together on this. That's a that's a first step to getting to what's called a moving block. So if we look at it, fixed block is how the uh, the rails run today, that you you have the block that you're occupying. You want a gap between you and a train behind you. You need the, the train behind you would need movement authority to move into the next block. It's how it works. Uh, if we if we get to a moving block, now you're keeping the gaps between the trains fairly constant, sort of like adaptive cruise control in your car where you can set what the gap is. These gaps are still fairly large because these trains can take a mile or two to stop when we, we think about how much weight are on these trains at this point. That'll help condense the space and allow for significant amounts of, uh, of more rail traffic. And then virtual coupling is more similar to, say, platooning with trucks. We'll actually get them closer together. They'll be talking train to train. Uh, and if the train in front can has uh, better braking ability, you actually berate that to make sure that both trains are accelerating and decelerating the same as we're going through there. So these are all steps. There's been studies done in Europe uh, that by going from fixed block to moving block to virtual coupling, you can get 46, 48 percent more traffic on those rails. We think we can do even better uh, in the U.S. while we're doing this. So PTC was a step to get all of the uh, interoperability, all the communication technology in place. Now we need to continue to drive this as a, a controlling methodology, a way to uh, uh, to go ahead and drive further safety into the system, and then we can get to the moving block and the virtual coupling. And and by doing that, yeah, and 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 just get back to the decarbonization. By doing that, rail per ton mile is about four to five times less carbon producing. So by moving more of the ton miles from from trucks to rail, you'll naturally de uh, decarbonize the system. Gotcha. So there's uh, there's obviously a definite definite link there um with that with that with that uh such an operational um technology and uh zero, net zero emissions and just uh, just a, a last uh uh question i had for you because obviously web tech is a is heavy in, into the rail sector but um i understand that the company recently won a contract to build the the marine diesel engines for uh on for a hopper a, a, a hopper use a dredging hopper used to for navigational dredging on the maritime side. It's a hopper, from what I understand, the largest U.S. hopper dredge called the Frederick Pop. Um, so I was just curious on, could you could you let us know, Eric, how, how Wabtech is also working on the marine side to uh, reduce emissions as well? Yeah, and, and this is a great example of uh, taking technology that we have and moving it into adjacent markets. So we're, we're utilizing our uh, engines that we use uh, for our locomotives, our tier four locomotives, and we're applying this now to a marine application. And if you, uh, you look at the emissions that are coming out of this, mostly around NOx and SOx and particulate matter, those types of, uh, of controlled uh, emissions, it's a 70% reduction uh, in those emissions when you go to tier four on these vessels. And so we've marinized it, you have to ruggedize it a little bit more because of the water environment, the salt water environment, the rest of the, uh, the pieces there. 
and put it in there. Very similar to how we use our, our similar technology in the mining space and other spaces uh, around that, that these are adjacencies that we can step into using our, our sustainability initiatives to make sure we're always driving down emissions while we do it. Gotcha. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, well, Eric, that's about all the time we have. Um, thank you very much again for taking time to provide us your insight on the um, uh, on the rail industries and, and the move forward to net zero emissions. Okay. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the discussion. And thanks everyone for joining us and stay tuned for the next panel.